you come to them and you share a similar background or similar education, are there some semblance where they where they can be like they recognize some of themselves in you? Yeah. When they evaluate you, they can evaluate you not only on based on what you present at face value, but also what they feel about you. Mm. They can have a feeling about you because they feel like they know you or they know something about you. Right. Versus somebody who's not like them. Right. And and this and this is an issue that comes up in in higher. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Makiva Conwell II, aka Mac. Now, Mac is a Baltimore native and a serial entrepreneur. He's currently a deal team coordinator at Tedco, which is an independent organization that strives to become Maryland's lead source for entrepreneurial business assistance and seed funding. Prior to joining Tedco, Mac worked with the Department of Defense, where he achieved top secret security clearance working as a government agent. He also went on to become a co-founder of two startups, one of which he sold back in 2014. In this episode, we cover everything from life as a programmer to life as a CEO, to what it's like being a founder of Color in Tech, which is such a huge topic right now. So I'm so glad we got to touch on it. Anyway, that's enough for me. Let's get into the action. So Mike, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely, it's a pleasure. So, Mike, when you're at a WeWork event or a networking event, how do you introduce yourself? I introduce myself by telling people my name is McKeever, we're calling the second, but I go by Mac, and I am currently the deal team coordinator at the Maryland Technology Development Corporation, better known as TEDCO. Nice. Before we get into TEDCO and what you guys are doing there, which is some amazing work, walk me through, I guess, your background, because you're originally a programmer, right? Yeah, I'm a software engineer by trade, so I went to school to be, uh, for computer science. Um, I then got an internship working for the Department of Defense. Um, my junior year of college, I dropped out to get a job working for Northrop Grumman. Wow. And I spent the next seven years or so working as a government contractor, doing all types of software development from very low-level you know, reverse engineering to embedded software development to database administration to cold fusion and other technologies. Wow. So how did you actually get into programming? It's funny. So when I was in high school, I was in engineering and I was really big into robotics. Mm. So when I got to college and I told them I was in robotics and I wanted to know what major to do, they told me, go do computer science. They have a robotics club over there. So I took the computer science major. They didn't have a robotics club. <laughs> they had like this robot with chips falling off that somebody made in like the early 90s. It didn't work. But um, I took my first computer science course and it came easy. So I was like, okay, I can do this. And then I found out how much software engineers made. And I was like, I'll stick with this. And then in the end, you dropped out. So how long were you actually in college for before you dropped out? Two and a half years. Oh, okay. So halfway through. Yeah. A little cool. more than halfway through. Yeah. So then after you've done the, I guess, the governmental contracting work, you actually co-founded your own startup called Give2? 
Yeah, so uh, it's funny. Given to was the last name we we ended up on. The first name was sometimes you forget dot com and then no bad gift. Mm. So, always going, try always iterate on bad names. So yeah, what was the premise for given to, and how did it start? So originally, it was a, a registry site where you could pick, you could basically make a list of all the things you wanted for any day or event, right. and then people could crowdfund individual items. So on the day of that event. You would either have the item shipped to you or you had the money put in your PayPal account. So you always got what you wanted and people always gave what they felt comfortable giving, um, which was a cool and novel idea. And uh, it ended up, we ended up pivoting from that into a digital content distribution platform. Mm. A fairly large pivot. What, what brought on that pivot? Um, when we started picking up some steam and um, we started going to some accelerators and talking to investors it was around the same time Facebook gifts was coming out right and this idea of social gifting was a big thing so there's a lot of competitors a lot of people in the space a lot of noise right and so um, what we did to differentiate ourselves was we found a way for people to gift each other iPhone apps mm. um, when we would show people the technology around it there was a lot of intrigue in just that and right. so somewhere along the line I realized that there was potential for us to create a platform that just did that, where you could prepay for anything out of the iTunes store and deliver it to somebody in the form of a link. So that could be a text message, an email, a tweet, whatever. And then the item would just download to their device. Um, so we started uh, selling that and pitching that idea to marketing firms and uh, rewards and loyalty kind of programs. Interesting. And you say we, how many of you were in the team? And I guess, was this your idea initially? So it was me and um, my two co-founders, who um, Sam Henry and Michael Washington. Um, I've known Sam since middle school. I've known Mike since my freshman year of college, so two of my best friends. Right. And um, initially, the, 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 the entire thing was initially um, Mike's idea, and me and Sam kind of tweaked it to, you know, the, the gifting thing. Yeah. Um, and then the, the gifting um, items coming out of iTunes actually came from another friend of ours who had his own startup. Uh, his name is Patrick Jackson, who's now the CTO for um, a VPN company called Disconnect in San Francisco. Nice. Um, he he kind of was the he kind of had the idea for it, and uh, we incorporated that into our platform. And then the idea to actually pivot that came from that came from me because um, when we started out. Me, Mike, and Sam were all developers, so we were all building. Yeah. I mean, that's not a great construction for a team. No. <laughs> somewhere along the line. Three engineers just in a room. Yeah, <laughs> not talking to customers. <laughs> yeah, you know, we just figured the, the, the field of dreams thing would work. You know, you build it, they'll come. Mm. That's not how that works. Right. So um, somewhere along the line, I started networking and going to events, and we started getting opportunities come come back from that. So they decided to push me out of coding and told me to go take the CEO role and I was the one who made the decision for the for the pivot. Nice, and I guess how big did this get? Like, how many users did you guys have? How did you get the word out in the end? Um, I know you guys got a ton of press. Was that like a key driver for you? So actually, press did absolutely nothing for us. So oh wow! <laughs> funny enough, for our original idea, we didn't get many users at all. Um, we probably barely cracked a hundred users. Wow! Because at the time when we were going through accelerators and people were getting really interested, we still were just figuring out how to get users. Right, right. right. We're three engineers. And, you know, I'm just now taking over the role of CEO, so I'm just learning 
how to do B to C or business to consumer sales. Mm. Um, so that was difficult. Um, but I learned some things along the way. So when we pivoted, it became a B to B sales. And so what happened was I learned how to do cold email campaigns. I learned how to find people within different organizations. And um, one of the first things I did was partner with another startup out of Baltimore by the name of Social Toaster. All right. And um, they drove our first. I was. Uh, they drove our first big sale out of the new platform, and we used that to kind of springboard us. Right. So your technology actually became B two B when you yes. pivoted as well. Yes. Right. Okay. I Int- went from learning B to C to learning B to B all on the fly. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. And then you guys actually exited the business, right? Awesome. And in, in that process, I guess, did you raise money? So for the first company, we didn't raise any money. We got 25000 for the first accelerator we went to. Um, we met a lot of investors and we had some interest, but we never actually went to go raise money. Right. But um, we got to the point where we were able to sell off the technology to one of our customers. So it worked out. Nice. And I guess the exit, was it life-changing or, you know, are you... Have you signed an NDA? You can't say. <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> right. Um, I will say, you know, not every exit is created equal. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. You can have like a nice steak dinner. Yes, I can have a nice steak. And so then, um, I guess once you had sold the business, was there kind of like a period where you had to transition and kind of like join, join that company? Or were you like, here's the technology done and dusted and then you were out? No, there was a transition period, but um, my two co-founders handled the transition. I wasn't really part of the transition phase. Right. Yeah. And at that time, um, I was working on my next idea, which was going to be... Um, Redberry, right? Next- Exactly. Um, I just wanted to go back a few steps. So you mentioned that you done a few accelerators uh, with Given Two. Were they useful for you guys? Uh, the first accelerator we did was Accelerate Baltimore. That was in the spring of two thousand twelve. Right. And that was extremely helpful because they gave our gave us our first twenty five thousand dollars. Okay. And um, we were able to use that to really do a lot of learning. So like. You find out investors don't like to invest in companies too early. And mm. The big reason around that is because most of the times, if you're too early, you have no clue what you're going to use the money for. Like we had this $25,000. We had no clue how to spend it. Yeah. And we ended up blowing you know, $10,000 on a marketing consultant that we didn't need. Oh, man. We needed somebody to actually do work. It's always the consultants, consultants. criminals. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was a learning lesson. Yeah. Um, my second um, accelerator I went through was the New Me Accelerator in San Francisco. Okay. Um, where I spent three months in San Francisco, and that was amazing. Um, that was probably one of the most impactful experiences of my life mm. because of the way it was structured. So twice a week, you met with two to three advisors, and at the end of the night, there would be a speaker dinner. Right. So, you know, on any given Tuesday or Thursday, you might meet with... Um, a VC, the first engineer from Dropbox, Wow. Um, a head of product at Facebook, and then uh, Ben Horowitz for the speaker dinner. Every week, there were two days a week where it was like that. And so 
I got to meet the who's who of Silicon Valley. Right. And investing and product development and business development and marketing. And the knowledge you I was able to soak up in that short amount of time was amazing. You know, you can't quantify that. Right. I guess well that was going to be my next question how would you measure the impact that that had on you as an individual and on your business because sometimes just you know it's all good and well going to these events and hearing these speakers but like what did you really take away from it and how did you kind of translate the learnings from these talks into your business well one i became i understood very acutely how investors think mm. and what they're looking for in companies, especially at the early stage, right? Mm. And so I was able to start sharing that with other people because what you find is a lot of early stage companies don't really understand how investors think or what they're looking for because yeah. they've never had to deal with them before. Right? Exactly. So that was awesome. Another thing was I, I began learning about um, cold email campaigns and, 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 and cold email marketing, right? Yeah. Which, you know... It's very old school and it sounds kind of weird, but um, that was a, that's been a key driver for me in my not only in my business but in my career and in my life. Yeah. Where I now know if I want to meet with somebody in a certain industry, I have I know how to go make that happen. Mm. Um, and that and that becomes really powerful when you start talking about business development. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I want to go talk to somebody who works at this big huge company. Well, I don't know anybody at that company. How do I get how do I get started? Yeah. Well, if you understand cold emailing, you can get yourself, you know, you can get yourself down a path where somebody might take a meeting with you. Sometimes it's that meeting that that makes all the difference. So yeah. That was amazing. And then I will also say a lot of people I met during that time, I'm still connected with to this day. Wow. So, you know, for future ventures and for future things that I do, you know, those people are in my network. And yeah. So building a network is extremely important. Yeah. And, um, I was able to build a very vast and um, impressive network in a short amount of time. Yeah, that's good. And so then after the exit, you know, you had your steak dinner and then you went on to your next venture, which would be Redberry. Right. And what was the premise for that? So Redberry is around this idea that still exists today. Um, there are a lot of people on Instagram who are selling products, mm. but they're selling them through email and text messaging, right? Right. Like, that, like that's a thing. There are people making lots of money taking emails and WhatsApp messages for orders through Instagram. And so I wanted to create a platform that would cater towards the individual sellers, especially those who are on Instagram. Interesting. Yeah. So I wanted to build a platform that had the same has similar look and feel to Instagram, yeah. but was completely catering to sellers. Mm. Um, what sellers already understand is how to generate users and followings. They have that. They just needed a better way for people to be able to purchase their products mobile. Right. And get the... So that was the premise behind Redberry. That sounds, similar, that sounds similar to an app that comes to mind, uh, Wanaloo? Yes, yeah, so, so it's, it's very similar to, to Wanaloo. Right. Um, they're actually, uh, they were considered a competitor of ours. Yeah. There are some things that we were planning to do is a bit different. So. Okay. And then, so how far did you get with that idea? Um, we got all the way to an accelerator. So um, I put a team together quickly. Right. Um, kind of forced them out. And, you know, we were together for about three months before um, I started doing um, uh, pitch events up and down the East Coast. 
where I was just pitching the idea just to, get, to have people get a feel for it. Yeah. And um, at every event, I would always get at least one investor or one potential customer to come up to me. Mm. Right? So, so I knew I had something. Like I was trying to vet the idea. And um, one of the events happened to be in Philadelphia where um, the managing director for the next class of the Dream Adventures program in Philadelphia approached me and asked me, you know, that I think about applying. I've already gone through two accelerators at this point, and I actually went back to San Francisco to be the entrepreneur in residence for new me for the following class after mine. So, you wow. know, I've done the living in an apartment with a bunch of people on ramen noodles type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I wasn't really excited about it, but mm. um, Dream Adventures is a top 10 accelerator, so I said, why not? Yeah. And so, three months into starting a new project, um, me and Two of my co-founders moved to Philadelphia, wow. living in a one-bedroom off in West Philadelphia. Wow. Um, you know, and I think for that, I just pushed the company too fast, too soon. Because mm. not everybody was ready to be full-time, all-in. Right. It sounded good, and it felt good until, you know, you're in there doing the day-to-day. It's not just, oh, I can work on this at night when I get home from work, and, you know, we'll slowly build it up to we have to accomplish this by this day alone. Yeah. And, um, and what effect and so did that have on, that, I guess, on the team? Um, what ended up happening was my lead developer ended up quitting um, with wow. a month to go, about six weeks to go into the program. And um, I hadn't touched any of the code at this point. Mm. I, I wasn't connected to the code or what was going on. And so um, I had to step in and he had made the back end in Ruby on Rails. I didn't know Ruby at the time, so I had to learn it and finish out the back end within, you know, six weeks. Wow. So I could launch something in time for demo day. Um, and I was able to do it. You know, we got a back end working and we were able to push an app out and got into the app store, but it was pretty crappy. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't what we wanted and um that was disappointing. Yeah. And so um that ended up, and we had raised some angel money for that one too. We had raised some money from some angels, and oh nice, how much? Money in the bank. Can't can't say how much. Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. I mean, you don't have to say who, but was, okay, that's fine. It was a good. It was a, it was a good enough. It was a good amount um, okay. for angel round for somebody who didn't have a product that was that was out. And um, what happened was after dreaming, the company kind of you know. We, we dialed it back a lot, mm. um, and I ended up giving my investors, you know, some of their money back. Wow. So you kind of, like, pulled the plug on the project after six months, three to six months? Yeah, pretty much. And um, that was that was disheartening. I mean, we chugged along for a little bit after that, but it was, like, the, the, the spark was gone, you know, and, and that was, a lot of that was my fault, so, you know. Do you think I had it was one your fault? Did pretty well. And I had one that didn't. Yeah. Do you think it was your fault because you you pushed everyone too soon, or you tried to get the product out too soon? I think part of it is that, and I also think part of it was just you know not putting together the right team. Right. The team construction was an issue. I tried to just push it together. Mm. Um. And I should have took my time.
Um, okay, so you put Redberry to bed, and then I guess what did you do next? Next, I ended up getting a job at a marketing firm in Baltimore, in my hometown, where I, I led all new. Um, I led a, a team of developers for all their incoming um, projects. Right. Um, but they just wanted to use me as a coding monkey, and I just spent the last you know, five years of my life developing all these other skills outside of coding. Mm. But um, it felt good at first to get back to my roots, get back to coding, and um, and they specialized in um, in e-commerce, so learning some of the, you know, getting some deep knowledge into some of the platforms out there, Magento, BigCommerce, Shopify. Right. But um, at the end of the day, I wanted more, and um, I also, ended, we, my company also ended up uh, getting a client that I didn't agree with politically. Right. And so um, I ended up quitting. Okay. Uh, so I, I told him I didn't agree with that client politically and I couldn't work for an organization that supported them. And so I left. And that same week that I quit my job was the week I saw the job posting for the job I have now. Which is Tetco. Yes. So cool. Yes. Which leads nicely into the next section of the interview, which is what is Tedco? You know, what made you go to Tedco? So Tedco, um, the Maryland Technology Development Corporation, has been around since 1998. It was originally formed by the state to invest in and commercialize technologies coming out of the research universities here in the state of Maryland. So Maryland is one of the top states in terms of research. Thanks to, you know, institutions like Johns Hopkins. Wow. But we don't do a great job of commercializing those, those that research and those technologies. Right. And so Teco was originally formed to be able to uh, fund companies that would be licensing technologies or be commercializing commercializing technologies out of these universities. Um, it now has uh, evolved into um, an investing um, company that is the largest investor in early stage tech companies in the state of Maryland and one of the largest in the country by the, the volume of companies we invested. Wow. Um, we invest across, I guess, 10 different programs now. And our, our key, our flagship program, Technology Commercialization Fund, um, alone invest in 23 to 24 early stage tech product focused companies. So if you're selling a, a product that's a technology product, um, you have the ability to get a $100,000 convertible note. Wow. But we also have funds for cybersecurity, for life sciences. Mm. We have a program specifically for companies. Um, if you're licensing technology from um, a major research institution in the state of Maryland, you get money for that. If you're an employee at one of those research institutions and you need some money to develop a technology that could be commercialized, we have a program for that. Our largest program is for stem cell research and commercialization. We have a program that helps people doing medical devices. So, and our um, and we have two new programs. Uh, one is our Gap Fund. That's to help people who are going from that early C stage and not quite at a Series A. Yeah. Uh, we put together a fund for that. So like a bridge uh, loan. And then, yeah, pretty much like a bridge fund. Where it's going to be a much larger convertible note. And then um, the fund that I'm working on that's in connection with Harbor Banks Community Development Corporation is called the Minority Business Pre-Seed Fund. And that is to help uh, minority uh, entrepreneurs, specifically for our pilot, African-American entrepreneurs, 
to seed them with $40,000, including um, some um, required education and a mentor mm. to help seed those companies in lieu of friends and family money so that they can be more competitive for our traditional $100,000 right so I actually came across Tedco when I was searching for myself um, you know as a founder um, I found it very very difficult to find these kind of funds and to raise you know the pre-seed round because as you know very well people from our communities just don't necessarily have the friends and family to do the friends and family round I wonder if that's something that you kind of struggled with yourself at the beginning and how did you kind of overcome that big thing for me so for me and my co-founders it just so happened that we all had good jobs you know mm. we're all six-figure you know jobs as developers so we had our own money um but even then that ran out and we didn't have anywhere to turn mm. you know, i don't have a high net worth individuals in my network yeah before i started doing this yeah and neither did my co-founders you know i didn't have a, a uncle or a cousin or my uncle's best friend who has ten or 15000 they can offer me to help me get my company started. Right. And so when it came time to come up with this idea, for me, it hit, it hit home. Yeah. And I, I was very particular about how I thought the comp- the, this program should be structured. Because, you know, that friends and family money is non-existent for yeah. most people, um, yeah. for most entrepreneurs of color. Mm. Know, the numbers bear that out and if you don't have access to that you can't even get started to the point where we have enough people in the funnel to get to the venture round yeah so i guess like why do you think vcs don't invest in people to cover i mean i won't say that it's an intentional thing but there obviously is a problem because i mean you know the figures less than two percent of venture capital actually goes to ethnic minorities and people of color. So, like, what do you think the issue is? So there's a lot of issues there, right? One, it's, it's a pipeline issue. So there, there aren't enough um, minority founders going into the pipeline. Mm. Part of that is because it's really hard for a lot of minority founded companies to get started for some of the issues we were already talking about. Right. Another part of it is um, the, the, the venture firms tend to want you to come to them. Mm. Well, if you don't know the game, if you don't know how this network works, you know, they're not going to come to you in your community. Yeah. And if you don't know where they are, how to get to them, you have all these companies out there that are left in the wind and yeah. don't know where to go. And the investors aren't going out their way to find them. But that, I think that's the issue, though, because, you know, I know you said investors are not literally going out looking for these people. But if you look at, you know, I recently watched the um, Stanford Startup School. And they had everyone go there to do a talk. So they're, you know, initially, they're kind of intentionally looking for these people. They go into the Stanford's and the Berkeley's and the Harvard to source out, you know, these great companies or these great, you know, entrepreneurs. So why aren't they going into the communities where they're predominantly, you know, people of color? Why are they not going there? Because surely, I'm sure you will find, you know, many Christian Walkers (laughs) and many Macs in these places um, if you're looking, right? Yeah, you would. And I would say, one, there's limit. So, yes, there's a lot of money, but there's a finite amount of money to be invested in, right? Mm. And so, for in a lot of cases, a lot of these investors already have enough deal flow to give out the money they have. Right. So, they, so their incentive to go find you 
isn't as high. That's mm. number one. Number two, it's hard for people to go look for things and understand things that they can't relate to. Mm. So, so here's the biggest difference, right? When you pitch to a VC or an investor that doesn't look like you and they doesn't have the same background as you, right? If you pitched, if, if you or I pitched to them, our founder of color pitches to them, and then another founder who shares a similar background to them pitches to them. Well, when they evaluate us, if they evaluate somebody they don't have um, any kind of connection with or any understanding with, then they can only evaluate them on the face value mm. of what they have to present. Right, right. If you come to them and you share a similar background or similar education, are there some semblance where, where they can be like, they recognize some of themselves in you? Yeah. When they evaluate you, they can evaluate you not only on based on what you presented at face value, but also what they feel about you. Mm. They can have a feeling about you because they feel like they know you or they know something about you. Right. Versus somebody who's not like them. Right. And and this and this is an issue that comes up in, in higher when we talk about people in these big companies. But when you don't have people of color in positions of power and hiring positions, the only way they can hire you is based on your resume and how you answer when you come in. Yeah. Unlike the other people who they see, like, you know, the one guy who came in, he didn't have the most impressive resume. He messed up on some of the questions, but it's something about him. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. And what they're saying is, there's something about them that reminds me of myself. Yes. Well, in a lot of the cases, there are very few hire managers at tech firms that can say that about me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. American with dreads, with dreadlocks like that. <laughs> so, myself is going to remind them of me so um that's the thing it's, it's just a it's, it's a reality of it it's not that they're bad people it's not that they're racist it's not yeah. that they're doing it on purpose but that's just the reality we do it ourselves we do we work with other minority founders just because we recognize something in them that you know we resemble and that we mm. understand a time i i came up a time i say a lot is i don't believe in institutional racism i believe in institutional familiarity um, you know, people are not racist, and I think when I like you that. when you start saying institutional racism, people switch off because they say, "Oh, I'm not a racist, so this doesn't apply to me." But when you say institutional familiarity, it's like, "Oh, okay, I see what you mean now. I see your perspective." It's a different conversation because when you call someone a racist, they can just say, "No, I'm not," <laughs> and then that's that. But um, but yeah, it's such a it's a shame, but it's an issue that I think a lot of people are starting to overcome, and you know, there is you know, incremental change happening. But I guess, you know, for people who are not from the state of Maryland and, you know, they might not necessarily have access to the TEDCO fund, which is an amazing fund, by the way, what can they do in their cities, in their states? I would say for the earliest stages, because like what's unique about the pre-seed fund is you can literally apply with just an idea. You can be anywhere from literally just an idea on a piece of paper all the way up to a prototype, right? Right. Um, most places you're going to find there isn't a fund to fund people that early. Like that kind of stuff doesn't exist. And so what happened, what you see for my, um, I've seen with several minority founders where their way to get around this is going across the country to pitch competitions where you know you get a $10,000 check here, a $5,000 check there, yeah. a $25,000 check there. And then you might go to one or two or, or even multiple accelerators where this accelerator gave you 25000 that accelerator gave you 35000 
and then that's how you build up your your lack of a better term your friends and family your precede round yeah i've seen several founders of color take that strategy because there's nothing else you can do a pitch competition with you know little already done and potentially come out with with some funding it's really hard to go out there and raise capital without already having your product built or having customers or already having traction when you guys invest at the moment like what are the things that you look for in companies um i know you said you invest into an idea so i guess what are you looking for at the moment the, the, the key things we're looking for initially are how large and unique is the idea and how big of an opportunity do we think it can be right so, you know we're looking for people who are going to have unique large ideas things we've never heard of before things we don't typically see mm. things that may be unique to their community um, and then once we get to the point where you know we bring in our top uh, finalists for interviews we're looking to see you know how much do they understand what it is they're trying to do how much are they prepared for the journey they're about to take um, how how well have they thought through how they plan to use their money Just, just the whole kind of thought where, process, yeah. Yeah, the thought process behind it, and also, you know, where's the grit? Mm. You know, a good entrepreneur is going to have a lot of grit and a lot of hustle. Yeah. You can usually, you can usually figure that out in an interview when you start talking to a, a, a entrepreneur about how far they're willing to go or have already gone to bring their idea to life. That's interesting. And the partnership with the bank, how did that come about? Yeah, so uh, so um, Harbor Bank's Community Development Corporation. Is That's actually a black-owned black owned bank. Yeah. Yeah. So Harbor Bank's a black-owned bank, a black CEO, the only black-owned bank in Baltimore and I believe the state of Maryland. And the, the Community Development Corporation is the non-profit arm of the bank. Right. And um, I, um, I have a connection there. Um, actually, a friend of mine by the name of Calvin Young, who's the the vice president for Harbor Bank CDC. And uh, when I was thinking through the idea of this this fund to present to Tedco, I just, you know, we were having a conversation. I asked him, like, hey, you know, would you be interested in being a part of this? Because one, Harbor Bank's mission and what they're trying to do is very much in line with what we're doing here at Tedco. And I also think it gives some, it, it gives a message to the community the TED Talk is not just talking about it, but you know, we're bringing on partners to really help the community that's already been there working for the community. So it, it made sense. Okay, we're going to work towards uh, wrapping up now. Okay. I mean, I think the, guy, the, the work that you guys are doing at Tedco is obviously amazing. But in terms of, like, biggest inspiration, who has been your biggest inspiration to date? My biggest inspiration, I'm going to mention three people, right? Right. So, number one is my father. <laughs> my father was the first person to ever spark the idea of entrepreneurship. And, you know, when I was a young kid in middle school and I told my dad I wanted to be a rapper, <laughs> he asked me the question, well, who signs a rapper's check? And I said, I don't know. I guess his boss. He's like, so who makes more money, the rapper or his boss? <laughs> I guess his boss. Well, why don't you learn how to be the boss of a rapper instead of trying to be a rapper? <laughs> I like that. You know, my father would talk to me in those kind of terms. Mm. And that helped foster the mindset I would have going forward. Um, the next inspiration 
for me as an entrepreneur, so a good friend of mine who I mentioned already, Patrick Jackson. He was the first guy I knew who was an engineer of color who told me he wanted to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. He was going to make a billion dollars using the skill set that we all had. Mm. And, you know, he was the first one to quit his job and move to San Francisco, you know, started his family out there, you know, was growing a a company. And he's on his second company now. Wow. Like amazing things. He's one of the smartest people I know. So when I look at his entrepreneurial journey, like I respect it so much. Mm. He's the uh, inspiration for me. And then when it comes to investing, it's a guy by the name of Paul Singh. So Paul Singh is Paul uh, Singh. a former partner. Yeah, Paul Singh. He's one of the former partners of 500 Startups. Wow. And uh, I met him early on in my entrepreneurial career. And the advice he would give me sounded so foreign at the time. But when I look back on it, he was so right about everything. And a lot of my own personal investment thesis comes from him. So uh, those would be my three inspirations. Are you going to share what the thesis is? <laughs> Oh, yeah, so the thesis tends to be around um, traction is king, mm-hmm. right? So the baseline for his, his investment thesis is show me, right? The more traction you can show me, the more viable you can show a business, the, the more interested I'm going to be in it, right? Like, make it easy for me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you come to me and you show me that this is your idea, these are the customers, this is your large market, this is your team. Well, you got a large market, you got a good team, and you already have customers paying you, and we see that growing. All right, I can get behind that, you know? Like, like I, I, like I can jump right on with that. Right. Um, versus, you want to talk to me about how you plan to grow customers, your go-to-market strategy, and all these other things that don't really matter until you're actually making sales or you're actually getting, you know, people to purchase or use your product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so true. My investment thesis is, is, is very entrenched in the idea of traction. Awesome. Paul Singer. I'll look out for him. Um, favorite book? Uh, my favorite book as a startup or as, as an entrepreneur would have to be The Lean Startup. Like, okay. That's your go-to. That's where you start at. Yeah. Then you grow from there. Um, if, if we're talking about marketing, it's probably the book Traction or Contagious. Yeah. I've read both of those books, yeah. Those are, you know, good marketing books to propel you forward. Um, and then just my, my favorite book probably to date would be Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Mm. Um, being from Baltimore, <laughs> it speaks directly to me since he is from Baltimore. Oh, wow. okay. But, but it's, it's a coming-of-age story where he's basically writing a letter to his son explaining what it means to be a black man in America in the struggles he went through and the struggles he trying to prepare his son for. Awesome. I'll check it out. What is the one single piece of advice you would give to any founder right now? Single piece of advice I would give to any founder, build your network. Your network will take you far. Mm. And it might not be today or tomorrow. It might be four or five years from now. But the people you add to your network as you go will become invaluable over time and Mm. don't just add people to your network add value to those people as well so when you add people to your network genuinely go out your way to help them to promote them to do things for them 
Because the more you do for them, the easier it's going to be for them to do things for you later. So true. Really foster that. A lot of people actually struggle with the whole adding value piece of that. So how can people add value to other people? Like, what, what, what should they do? Whenever you meet somebody throughout the conversation, always be thinking to yourself, how can I help this person? As they're telling you what they're doing or what they're going through or what's happening, always be thinking to yourself, how can I help them? You know, is there somebody else I can connect them to? You know, when you start connecting people to other people, that goes a long way. I mean, if you're willing to give up some of your connections and your resources to people, that goes a long way. If you're willing to give them time to help them or to support them, that goes a long way. So always be thinking about how can I help you first instead of asking people what can they do for you. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, as I said, the work that you are doing at TEDCO is truly amazing. We need more of these kind of initiatives around the world. Um, where can people find you if they want to get in contact with you? If people want to get in contact with me, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Mac, M-A-C, Conwell, C-O-N-W-E-L-L, all one word. Just just tweet at me and I'm fairly active. I'll get back to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Mac. No problem. Just want to say another massive thank you to Mac and the Tedco team for coming on the show. Be sure to check out Tedco if you're based out in Maryland. They're doing some amazing work with startups and it might just be the thing that you guys need to get your startups off the ground. So you know how we like to do it at the end of the show. I like to give you my top three key takeaways. Then you guys can Instagram DM me or tweet me yours. So number one, it's great going to all these events and talks. But if you don't do anything with what you've learned, then it's been a complete waste of time. Something that Max said that he had learned was that he learned how to become an investor or to think like an investor, which actually went on to help him later on in life. So what have you learned recently and are you putting it into action? Number two, again, you've probably heard me say this before, but cold emailing is everything. If you can't get a warm intro, then you need to get good at creating cold emails something that was instrumental in Max network growth and ultimately startup growth. And finally, Mac mentioned something that I thought was actually a pretty good idea. If you can't get the friends and family round done, then start going to these hackathons and competitions and accelerators and collect all these 10, 20, maybe even $5,000 checks. It's a bit of a hustle, but that's what entrepreneurship is. And if that's what it takes to get your startup off the ground, then so be it. Guys, as always, thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Startup Hand Me Downs on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud. And while you're at it, please leave us a review as well. Until next time, guys, keep hustling. <laughs>